Thank you, Alex. Well, before I'm again to today's message, I want to give some feedback from last weekend. Grace and I were up in Glasgow at Glasgow Grace Church last weekend with Ian Lindsay Kennedy and the guys there, and uh, we were praying for and appointing Ian and another guy called Johnny Rennie as elders. And it was so encouraging to, to be up in Glasgow and be with the church there. Ian Lindsay sent out from us three years ago. And in terms of uh, a time to start a new church, started a new church, and then 12 months later the pandemic struck and could have so easily, that infant church could so easily have kind of been strangled at birth, but instead they're flourishing. As you can see from the picture, a big crowd of people in the room and just massively encouraging to see how God is using them, what God's doing amongst them. And uh, we should feel a sense of... Uh, of uh, 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 of ownership and uh, satisfaction ourselves in terms of Ian Lindsay having been sent out from us and that being a church plant we very much initiated. Actually, John and Vicky Clark are up there this weekend with them. Uh, John's doing some teaching with the worship teams and leading worship there this, this today. And uh, we do have this real sense of, of ownership and commitment and partnership with what Ian and Lindsay and the rest of the guys are doing up there in Glasgow. So uh, do keep remembering them in your prayers and giving thanks to God for all that he has done amongst them. Right, this morning we're starting a new series called A House for My Name. And uh, this is a series which we're planning to carry through to next July. And it's a series which is giving us, will give us a sweep of the whole of the Old Testament. And the reason that we felt we wanted to do this was because I think the reality is that so many people, so many believers, so many followers of Jesus don't really understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament, which takes up most of our Bibles, can seem pretty alien and incomprehensible to many people. And the, the trouble is that if you don't understand the Old Testament, it's really difficult to understand the New Testament. And we've seen that over the last few weeks as we've been in the book of Revelation, how again and again in what we've looked at in Revelation, uh, there are references to and allusions to what is said in the Old Testament. If you don't know the Old Testament, you don't see those things, and it means you just miss what is going on. So the practical question is, how do you do a teaching series covering the whole of the Old Testament? That's quite a, a challenge. We could be here for years and years doing that, which we... We're not going to do. So what we are doing, we're using this book, A House for My Name by Peter Lightheart, which gives a, a, an overview, a survey of the Old Testament. And we'll be following this kind of section by section, also doing that in life groups. Today I'm going to be sticking pretty closely to the first section of this book. At other times we'll be diverting a little bit more. Uh, but I'd encourage you to get hold of a copy of this and to read it, uh, the, the pace we're taking it is kind of, you only need to read about a page a day, maybe not even that, to keep up. So I'd really encourage you to get hold of that, and it will help you to follow along and understand more of what is going on. So let's start at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start. <laughs> this is what Peter Lightheart says at the start of his book. The Bible tells one story. It is a long and complicated story about events that took place over several thousand years. But even so, it is one story. Like most good stories, the most exciting and important parts come toward the end. In this case, the most important part comes when Jesus is born, lives, dies on the cross, rises again, and ascends to heaven. But to know why Jesus comes and what he is doing when he dies and rises again, we need to know the story that goes before. A man kisses a sleeping woman in a wood and she awakes. That's a nice ending to a story, but if we don't know the woman is sleeping beauty and the man is Prince Philip, then we don't know the story very well. A beginning is nothing without an ending, 
But an ending without a beginning isn't worth much either. To tell the story of Jesus, we need to start with Genesis, the first book in the Bible, a book whose name means beginnings. We need to know the backstory to understand a story. You can't really understand someone if you don't know their story. If you're getting to know somebody, if you really want to get to know somebody, you have to know their backstory. It takes time to hear their story, learn where they came from. You want to go way back in terms of where were you born and where did you go to school and what was your family like and all those kind of things which shape who a person is. To understand who a person is now, we need to know something of their history, their story. And we really want to know Jesus. I really want us to know Jesus. And to know Jesus, we do need to understand the story, which does mean we need to go right back to Genesis, start there, work our way through the Old Testament, and see how the whole story points to is about Jesus. To know Jesus, we need to know the Old Testament. So, starting in Genesis, and uh, Alex has very skillfully this morning led us in songs all about creation. I'm going to read whole of Genesis chapter 1 into chapter 2. Uh, because it's a long passage, I'm going to skip it and read uh, some parts and not others. You can follow the whole text if you're a fast reader as well as I read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. The third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. The fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. The fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. It's a story of creation. It's a story we've been singing about in our worship this morning as well. It's a description of why the world is as we see it, as we experience it, with the sky and the oceans and the sun and the moon and the stars and the plants and the birds and the fish and the animals and the teeming life that there is on the planet. 
When uh, we were up in Glasgow last week, there was lots of preparations for the COP26 summit happening over the next few weeks. Actually, most Glaswegians seem to be pretty disgruntled about it because of the amount of disruption it's going to cause to their lives over the next few weeks. But of course, that summit is all about trying to preserve the teeming life on earth. The reason, though, we're told in this story, the reason the Bible tells us for the abundance of life on earth is because of the Lord's creative brilliance. The Lord saw and he spoke and created and there was life. Now, we picture this in modern scientific terms. We think about oxygen and carbon cycle and plate tectonics and all that kind of stuff. But the way that the Bible pictures the earth is not in those scientific terms as we've described them, but in terms of a house, a three-story house, that the earth is set on foundations. There are blue skies stretched out like a tent, and there are pillars which support earth and heaven, a three-story house. And Genesis chapter 1 tells us that it takes God six days to build this three-story house. And the first three days, God makes the house by dividing things. He divides light from dark, and he divides the waters above from the waters below, and then he separates, divides the waters from the land. That's the first three days. And then the second three days, God fills the house, fills up the three stories of the house. He puts sun and moon and stars to fill the daytime and the nighttime. He fills the sky with birds and the waters with fish, and he fills the land with animals and with human beings. And so after six days, the three-story house is completed. And then we have the most important day, the Sabbath day, the seventh day. That's the day when God enjoys the house. All this work, this dividing and this filling, the house is built complete. God enjoys the house. Now we follow a similar process when we build a house. We'll be following a similar process when we build our new building in the car park out here in the next few months. That we put foundations down and pillars up and construct a roof. There's that work of division that goes on, but the house isn't a house until it's filled. It's not a house until you've got lights which come on and water which runs and runs in the right place rather than no separation between the sky and, and, and the building. There's meant to be a roof which stops water from coming in and water's meant to run in pipes and come where it's meant to come and you need that in the house. And there's meant to be plants and animals and people in the house to make a house a house. There's been a huge interest in houseplants over the last two years. People have got really into houseplants and gardening. Actually, that's good. Our houses should have plants in them. That reflects the creation. Actually, our houses should have animals in them. It's only in very recent times that humans have lived without close proximity to animals. Get a budgie or something. Get a goldfish. Just have some life in your house. And even if you live on your own, don't be on your own. Have people in your house because a house isn't a house until it's filled. You can have the structure, but it's got to be filled to become a house. And God built this three-story house and filled it with life. And this is the imagery the Bible uses to conceptualize, to picture how human beings exist. This is the arena of human activity, this three-storied house in which God has placed us and which we live. But... We are not to confuse the house 
with its builder, with its architect. We're not to forget the builder of the house who built it for us and what it is for, that this is meant to be a house for his name, a house for the name of the Lord. And that explains why in the Ten Commandments, God speaks to his people Israel and says this, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. What the Lord says to his people is, don't bow down to anything in the house. Don't worship the house. You're called to know and to worship the builder of the house, not to worship the house itself. And then in Hebrews 3, in the New Testament, it tells us the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. That's the point. We're meant to know and honor the one who has constructed the house, the builder, the architect, the Lord himself. And so here in Genesis 1, we have this picture of God creating a beautiful house for us to dwell in. But the danger always for us is we become obsessed with the house and forget its architect, forget its builder. And, and that can easily happen in our own houses, that we can become obsessed with our houses and forget their purpose. That actually the reason the Lord gives us houses in which to live is not simply for us to become obsessed with that place as a piece of property, but for it to be a place which is full of life. And certainly as Christians, we should have that sense our houses are given to us as a place for doing mission. That our houses are places, should be houses for God's name. That from our houses, there's a, a work of witness and mission and care and love which is displayed to other people. That's why hospitality is such a key thing in, in the Bible story, why, why we're urged again and again to be hospitable. We're meant to have our places where we live, our houses are meant to be places where we serve other people and serve the Lord. They're part of the working out of a house for his name. And as well as these important principles about worship, don't worship the house, worship the maker of the house. We also need to understand this biblical imagery of the house to understand the language the Bible often uses. If we don't understand that when the Bible is talking about earth and waters and heavens, it's talking about this three-story house, we won't actually understand the scriptures. We won't understand the story. You've got to understand Genesis 1 to understand the rest of the story. And this imagery of a three-story house, the waters, the earth, the skies, continues throughout the Bible. For example, Psalm 77, it says this, The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Now, when we read a passage like that, because of the way that we think, we kind of imagine that the psalm is just talking about the weather, that this is a really stormy day, that there's some dramatic weather going on. But actually what is being described is a three-story house. Every story of the house is mentioned, the waters and the sky and the earth. And the psalm is saying that when the Lord comes into the house, the house shakes. And that might like, sound like bad news, God comes to the house and the house shakes. <clears throat> in our houses, if the house is shaking, that's normally bad news. If you're in an earthquake zone and the house shakes, that's bad news. If you've got a stroppy teenager and the house is shaking because they keep slamming the doors, that's bad news. Even worse, if you have a, an abusive, angry man in the house, 
and the house shakes when he comes in. That's bad news. That's threatening. That's not what is being described in this psalm. What the psalm is actually about is the Lord's deliverance of his people. This is how it goes on. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What Psalm 77 is describing is the Exodus, the moment when Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt into freedom. And the psalm says that was an event, a moment which actually made the whole universe tremble. It was a a world-shaking, house-shaking event, that moment of the Exodus. And actually there was a particular house that was shaken in the events of the Exodus. The the Bible describes the the whole world as a house, this three-story house. But it also describes different nations as houses. Each nation is a house. And the Exodus shook the world, but it especially shook the house of Egypt. The house of Egypt was shaken by the Lord. And we see this imagery in the plagues that God sent against Egypt as Pharaoh refused to let the people go. There was a shaking of the three-story house of Egypt. There were ten plagues, and the first nine form a sequence of three. Plagues which come against the water, the land, and the sky. Every story of the house is being shaken. The waters are shaken, the land is shaken, the sky is shaken. There are plagues which are poured out on the house of Egypt, and the house shakes and eventually falls. The house of Egypt is torn down because of its rebellion against the Lord. Now, the book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. And it begins by telling us that out of chaos, God creates a house. The earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then the Lord begins to divide water from water, dark from light, land from water. The Lord divides, and then he begins to fill. Out of the chaos, God builds a house. And whenever in Scripture, whenever in the story we read about God shaking the house, that means that God is about a new work. A new work of creation is underway. God is building again. And so in that story of the Exodus, a new house is being built. The house of Egypt is shaken, but the Lord is building a new house for his people. Out of the chaos of the waters, as they pass through the sea, he is bringing his people into life. He's bringing them out of a shaking house into a house that cannot be shaken. Now, the Exodus happened to a particular group of people in a particular place at a particular time. But for all of us, coming into relationship with God through Jesus Christ is both Genesis and Exodus. Coming into relationship with God through Jesus is a new beginning. It's a work of new creation. God brings us out of the chaos of our old way of living and brings us into new life in him. And he brings us out through the waters. And that symbolizes now baptism and brings us into a new and spacious land. He is about belonging to a house for his name. We enter his house and belong to him. And so the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament referencing these things And you certainly can't understand the letter to the Hebrews if you don't know the Old Testament. The writer to the Hebrews says, 
At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Scripture says that God is shaking the house, and everything that's not secure will fall, just as the house of Egypt fell when the Lord shook it. But God is leading his people into what is unshakable. And so this story of Genesis, this story of beginnings, has eternal significance, has significance for us now and for God's people always. We read the story of beginnings, we see the story of God forming order out of chaos, see the story of God dividing and filling and building this beautiful house, and we see the beauty of the house that the Lord has made for us. We look at the world around us, and we see the evidence of the beauty of the house that God has made. It's teeming life, it's diversity, it's intricate working together, it's magnificence, it's splendor, it's glory, it's beauty, and we also see the reality of its shaking. We can see that in some of the things we're so conscious of at the moment, that we as human beings have emptied the sea of fish and filled the sea with plastic. And we have cleared the land of trees and poisoned the rivers and driven the animals to extinction. And we've pumped the sky full of carbon dioxide. We have, we have been responsible for some of the shaking in the earth that we see. We have worked hard at undoing some of the creative brilliance of the Lord. And we also see the houses of the nations shake. We turn on the news and see nations being shaken and things that once we might have felt were secure and predictable and reliable starting to fall. We feel that even in our own context, in our own nation. It feels like a time when so much is being shaken and so much is falling. And in a time like that, how much do we need to put our trust in God? To put our trust in God. And some people are very scared at this time. Some people are very scared about what's happening with the environment. I read an article last week by a guy, a married guy, who said that he and his wife were too terrified to have children, just couldn't face the prospect of having children because of their terror about the environmental condition of the world. And people are terrified. People have been so scared by all that's happened in the pandemic. And driving up here this morning and saying petrol's gone up again, 144, whatever it is now, and it's easy to be scared by all the things we see being shaken in the earth. But we need to know that actually the Lord is the one ultimately who is responsible for the shaking. And all that is not eternal, all that is not solid will fall to the ground, but he is bringing us into a kingdom, into a house that cannot be shaken, into what is solid and sure and true. And so we need to put our trust in God. We need to have confidence in what we will receive. If you know Jesus, you have been promised, guaranteed a place in his unshakable kingdom, an unshakable house. That also means that we need to have confidence in what we're doing now. 
We can have confidence in what we do now because we trust in the one who is going to bring us into what is eternally unshakable. That means if you're married, you should be confident about having children because you can trust that to the Lord. It means that we shouldn't give way to fear when we turn on the news and see how nations are being shaken. We shouldn't give in to fear when we see petrol prices going up and up and when we think about what's happening to the environment. We shouldn't give in to fear because the Lord will bring us into an unshakable kingdom. And that means that we can work and labor now, confident that the Lord will hold on to all that is good. He will carry it somehow into his unshakable house. And the church is God's house. The Lord is building a house for his name. And we, the people of God, are that house. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. If you are a Christian, you've been brought into the house of the Lord, a house which will not fall. We have been brought out of chaos into what is unshakable. We've been brought into a house that is for his name. Now, some obvious application for us in terms of what we are doing with our building project next Sunday, the day when we're looking for all the pledges to come back in. This is the biggest mountain that we've ever attempted to scale as a church, uh, raising a far larger sum of money than we've ever attempted to raise before. And we're doing it because we actually have confidence that God is building his house. If we didn't have confidence in what God is doing amongst us now, there would be no point in looking at doing a new building. We might as just, well, run away, dig a hole in the ground and wait for the end of the earth to come. But we're not doing that because we have confidence that as God does shake the world and as so much falls, we are able to stand firm because we have been brought into an unshakable house. And even doing a physical thing of building physical foundations and physical pillars and a physical roof is a kind of a sign and a symbol. It's not just a building which will facilitate our mission, but it's also a kind of prophetic statement of our confidence that God holds us fast on unshakable ground. And so let's, let's stand together in this. And let's really go for this together. We, we want to be in this together. You, we, Want to be in years to come, you want to be able to say, I was there. I was there. That moment, I stood my ground, trusting that the Lord was building something which would not be shaken and fall, but was a declaration in our confidence that God is building a house for his name. You want to be part of that, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You want to be able to tell the story that you were there, you were part of it. You were at the prayer meeting, you gave them money. You want to be able to tell that story. And so let's stand together and trust that the Lord is building his house. Even amongst us, even in the chaos of our age, he is bringing us through into a place where we can know the reality of his beauty, his glory, and his love, and demonstrate that to the world around us. Amen. Yeah. Lord God, I do pray for us. I pray that we would more fully and thoroughly grasp this story of the house you have built, would more fully, over these coming months, get to grips with the story of the Old Testament, that Jesus, we might get to know you more, that yet knowledge would increase, that love might increase, that we might know and love you more and more. And I pray that you would help us at this time.
Lord, there's so much in the world does feel like it's shaking. I pray that we would know the solid ground on which we stand. We would know that we are members of the household of God and that you would equip us and bless us in all that we need, all we're seeking to do together, all that we're laboring for. Equip us and bless us in these things that we could speak to our fearful, shaking world of something which is rock solid and sure, our hope in the Lord and his unshakable kingdom. Amen.